BYB On The Run with your host, Katie Halday. This is your daily Bible blast, the perfect fit for your busy life. Just one chapter, one revelation. This will change your life. Welcome to Isaiah 6, TYB On The Run. This is Isaiah's commission. Let me jump in with this Bible blast. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him was seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were called to, and they calling to one another, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory." At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leaf stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. What an incredible commissioning of this prophet Isaiah. You've got to remember that Isaiah, as a prophet, is is commissioned by God. That's the thing about a prophet. They have a commissioning or a calling moment where God calls them and then he gives them a message to preach. And we can see from Isaiah's commission, not just his calling, but his message. You can see both in this in this incredible chapter of we, as we've studied it. Now, this Isaiah 6, from going forward, from Isaiah 6 onwards, we kind of go from Isaiah 1 to 5 is very much the prophecies of Isaiah. And we jump into these prophecies of judgment and prophecies and and it's kind of in the depth of this imagery of judgment and this remnant coming through and Isaiah 6 kind of is this breaking point where we have kind of a recap he's he's almost saying hey let me tell you how I got into this this job and he jumps into what his commission of what his commission was and whoever put Isaiah together some people say there's two people putting these books to get this book together but this commissioning moment of where Isaiah's commission comes forth and we see the call of the holy prophet. And I'm going to explain that to you. But from here on, you can see through when you go through the the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 8 talks about Isaiah and his children and kind of gives us a recap of not just his prophecies, but his family. We then keep going and he goes through the branch of Jesse. We keep going and when we actually hit the end, All the prophecies come back in the middle, but we actually have historical context 
in in the book of Isaiah, which is very rare for a prophetic book, can I say. Most of um, the prophetic books, other than Jonah, which is a a story of of the prophet more than the the prophetic message, Isaiah is a mix of message as well as historical context. So I can go through and have a look in at the end of Isaiah, sorry, the middle of Isaiah, which is 37. It talks about Hezekiah's prayer. In 36, it talks about um, in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, uh, uh, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. We get history in the end of, we have Hezekiah's illness in 38. We have Babylon in 39. So in the end of this first section, Isaiah 39 to 1 to 39 is the first section of Isaiah, section of judgment, and then 40 onwards is a section of comfort. We have more than one Isaiah's commissioning, Isaiah's prophecies, as well as Isaiah's life and his history. So let's jump into this Isaiah's commissioning and why it is there. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now, when I find out about a king, I jump back to my historical books, um, which is 1 and 2 Kings, and one and two chronicles in every prophet. If they mention a king, I jump back and find out what that king is in the books. Now I know that when I go back to two kings, Uzziah is hard to find because it's he's actually in two kings fifteen, but he has a different name. Just to make it interesting, <laughs> in two kings fifteen, um, in the twenty seventh year of, of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, son of Am- um, Amaziah, king of Judah, began to reign. Now. If you have a look in in your little reference notes, um, Azariah is also called Uzziah. So we know that this is King Uzziah. Now, who is King Uzziah? Let's find out what is happening in this commissioning moment because this is the moment that Isaiah raises up as a prophet. It's important to know what's happening. He was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem for 52 years. I'm getting this from two kings. I'm not getting this from a commentary. It's all in your Bible. His mother's name was um, Jecoliath. She was from Jerusalem. So he did right in the eyes of the Lord, but just as his father Amaziah had done, the high places, however, were not removed and the people continued to offer sacrifices there. And that's the sin of um, this moment of this sin of, um, my apologies, um, that continued in Jerusalem and they weren't removed. Now, in the year that King Uzziah died, what's happening? The good king has died. And God commissions a prophet because he knows what's about to happen. (laughs) God commissions a prophet to say, you know what, King Uzziah is gone. The good king is gone. Now I need a prophet to stand up. And he says this, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, when a king dies, there's turmoil in the land. There's a transition. They're not sure what's going to happen. There's uneasiness. And they need the voice of the prophet to rise up in this specific time. I saw the Lord. We're in first person. Did you notice that? High and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah has a moment in his commission where God gives him the vision. He almost visits the throne room. That's his commission, and he sees the holiness of Yahweh. Now, this is Father God. He's not seeing a vision of Jesus here. He's not seeing, and Jesus is mentioned in Isaiah 6, but he is seeing. Father God, the Lord God Almighty. He is seeing the creator of the whole universe and he's having a revelation of who this God is that is commissioning him. Now, in the commission is a revelation of who God is, which will be his message. So notice that. Above him was seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying and they were calling to one another. 
Now we have this revelation of seraphim. Don't get too stuck on on images, um, not images of visions in the Bible like Ezekiel. This is very much conjuring up the the prophecies and the the visions of Ezekiel. You can have a study of that. Um, he's He's got the same revelation of Ezekiel as this supernatural above Um, normal encounter with God. And the seraphim have six wings and they're incredible beasts. They're incredible beings. I love this moment where the supernatural is so above and beyond our natural mind. And what are they saying? Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. That is very important in this text, guys. Why? Because Isaiah's commission is, is, is a commission of a holy prophet, a revelation of how holy Yahweh is, a revelation of how holy, his holiness. And we're going to see the reaction to his holiness. And the reaction to this, his holiness is actually right. Why does God give Isaiah a revelation of his holiness? Because he is about to go and prophesy to Israel, to Judah, to Jerusalem. He's about to go and prophesy to Jerusalem, the representative of this holy God on earth, and they are anything but holy. It's a contrast. The holiness of Yahweh, and when he goes back and and starts prophesying to the people, he realizes they are not even close to a representative of this holy God. God gave him a revelation of his holiness so he'd see the contrast of what his people, who are supposed to be his holy people, his holy nation, the chosen nation, who is supposed to represent the holiness of God on earth so that the nations can see how amazing and, and loving and beautiful this holy God is and they're corrupt, they're proud, they're arrogant. Again, a bit of a warning for us guys, are we representing a holy God? Do we need a revelation of how holy our God is? Because our lives do not represent his holiness. Now, what is Isaiah's reaction to the holiness of God, which is our reaction too? Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. When you get into the presence of the holy God, there's moments in my prayer time where I'm like, you are so majestic, you are so magnificent, you are so holy. And I'm standing in your presence. Woe to me. I am ruined. <laughs> I have a revelation of, of my unholiness when I have a revelation of how holy my, my God is. He says, for I am a man of unclean lips. He's pulling out his list of how unholy he is. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, capital K, the Lord Almighty, capital L, capital A. What he's saying is, In the revelation of my eyes seeing this king, the Lord Almighty, I'm unclean. Woe to me. Now, there's this moment in in this commission of Isaiah where we've got to get this understanding of Isaiah and he's realizing his sin. And what happens after he realizes his sin? He doesn't stay in that realization of sin. No, he progresses through. He doesn't stay in, we've got to not stay in our realization that we're sinful people, that we're, we're people that are unclean, that we have a past, that we're sinners. We've got to not stay in that. Because when we stay in that, we're not empowered to the future that God has called us to be. If Isaiah had stayed in that, he would remain in that that um, I'm unworthy moment. Don't stay in that. That's I hear some people in their prayer time, Lord, I'm so unworthy to be in your presence. That's that's a false humility. That's not empowerment. Know that you are an unholy person and remain un, um, you know humble and repentant in that moment. But move on just like Isaiah does. And how does he move on? Oh my goodness, are you ready? Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs. Can you see that the redemption process isn't within him? It has to be without, without, meaning an outside process. 
Uh, with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Oh, my goodness, this is a representation 700 years before Christ even turned up. This is a moment where we go from the woe is me in a holy God presence to accepting the atonement of Jesus Christ. And in this story, he accepted the atonement, the outside atonement. It wasn't from within him that salvation was going to come. It was an outside atonement that God provided can you see it? God provided the, the coal, the live seraphim, come and bring it to him, and he is atoned. His lips are atoned for. This is Christ. This is what God, Jesus Christ, has done. God sent his son because he knew that we couldn't be atoned for by ourselves. He sent his son to do the work for us, to be that live coal that would come in and and wash us clean and, and take away our sin and atone for our sin. And this is the progression. Holy God, realize that you are worthless repentance and this atone for, accepting what Jesus Christ has done as that atoning. And then there's this next step, because don't stay there, keep going. There's a next step. He says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And he says, here I am, send me. In the boldness of his atonement, in the boldness of what um, this coal had done, in the boldness of this I'm unclean, I'm now cleansed. In the boldness of his cleansing, he says, I'm in. Here I I am, send me. And that's us. In a revelation that you need God, that you need in 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 the holiness, God, Jesus came so that we could be able to stand in the presence of this holy God. Jesus came for this very moment. He's the coal that, that um, uh, brings together the holiness of God and the, the, the sinfulness of humanity and allows us to be reconciled. That is this whole moment. But we can't stay, have this revelation of a holy God, repent and, and say, look, woe is me, I'm a sinful person. Get atoned for, deal with that. Don't let that that past present, you know, that sorry, that past sin do anything to stop you from being stepping into the next step, which is here I am, send me. Because that's this is this progression of Isaiah's commission, and I love it. He says, Go. Now he gives him a commission and he says, Go and tell the people. Now you've had a revelation of how amazing and holy I am, and I showed you that. And this is his commission. It's a bit like the commissioning of Saul, I have to say. It's a commissioning of Saul that says you're about to go and suffer. And he says, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of these people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their ears, sorry, eyes, see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. It's this moment where he's saying, I'm sending you to a very obstinate people. I'm sending you to an arrogant people. I'm sending you to a people that think they represent me on the earth, but Isaiah, I've shown you that they're not even close to a representative of me on the earth. This is what I truly am. And in that revelation of Isaiah, knowing the holiness of God, knowing how incredibly majestic he was, knowing the smoke. Did you see that smoke that filled, filled his presence? That's the Shekinah glory of the presence of God. That's that moment the whole earth is filled with his glory and the smoke fills the, 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 the space that Isaiah is, the temple. That's the same smoke, the same Shekinah glory that filled the first temple back in the beginning. This is calling forth Ezekiel, but it's also calling forth the prophecies of the temple being filled with the presence of God when it was first built um, in Ezra and Nehemiah, this moment of the temple being built. 
So we have these calling forths of, of history and he says, I want you to go to these obstinate people. They're obstinate. They're arrogant. They're, they're, they're kind of, can you feel this beautiful biblical story of this of Isaiah's prophecies? I love this. Um, he's going to prophesy to people that are arrogant. He's going to prophesy to people and they're about to be sent into exile. And we know this moment. Um, then I said, for how long, Lord? So he's saying, look, I've, I've got the commission. I know you're a holy God. I know what I'm about to say and I know they're not going to listen to me. How long do I prophesy? And he said, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. Um, and though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leaves um, stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Can I just correct something that I said before? I said that the, the smoke filled the temple in Ezra and Nehemiah. It didn't. It actually filled the temple in the first building of the temple. In Ezra and Nehemiah, they were actually so sad that the presence of God wasn't predominant. So I just wanted to correct that because it came up in my brain. When the first temple was built, that's when the smoke filled the temple and the people fell prostrate prostrate before God and they were just like, oh, my goodness, we are so grateful for the holiness of God in this temple. Now we have this moment. We've got through it until the cities lie ruined. So he's saying basically until they go into exile. Keep prophesying, Isaiah, until they go into exile. And he says, and though a tenth remains in the land, did you hear that? And though a tenth remains in the land, there's a remnant. There's always a remnant. There's always a, 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 a seed. There's always a remnant that's going through because why the promised Messiah has got to come for these people. He can't completely get rid of them. It will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leaf stumps, when they are cut down, here's our moment to finish on. The holy seed will be the stump in the land. He's prophesying Jesus. He's saying, even though they, I'm going to take them right back to a stump, even though I'm going to cut their righteous tree off, which is bearing bad fruit, even though I'm going to do all of that and this righteous tree will no longer be able to bear fruit because they're so arrogant, they're bearing bad fruit, and I'm going to cut it down and take it back to its foundations, take it back to its core, and I'm cutting it down right down to a stump. And then he says, but don't, don't worry, Isaiah, There's a holy seed and this holy seed is the promised Jesus Messiah from the all the way through the holy seed that was in Abraham, the holy seed that was back prophesied in Genesis three, the holy seed that is always prophesied when God, when God removes something, there's always this beautiful holy seed remnant in the biblical story of Christ that is going to redeem this whole situation once and for all. He will be the stump in the land. And can I just quickly jump forward? Because he actually talks about this moment. In Isaiah 11, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in That's Isaiah 11. So from this moment of Isaiah getting this revelation of a holy God and an atoning sacrifice that's going to come, and Isaiah saying, you know what I mean, I'm going to prophesy to an obstinate people he knows there's exile. He knows that the, the land is going to be laid waste. He knows he's prophesying into a, uh, an exile situation, but he knows also 
that there's going to come somebody. There's going to come a, a person who is just like he said, a holy seed. He is going to be the branch of Jesse. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. There's always this beautiful remnant prophecy of Jesus. I hope you have loved studying this with me, guys. I am so enjoying studying these. I'm going through, I'm having a look at all these different contexts, but I hope you love studying Isaiah's commission. And again, do not let your past, do not let your your circumstances, your list that you will pull out before God to say, I cannot be used. Do not let that be more powerful than the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Once you are atoned for that sin, it's done away with and you've got to move on. And when God says, who will I send? You are able to say in that beautiful atonement, washed and cleansed of your sin, here I am, send me. And he will commission you to change the nations. So I hope you've loved it. Be blessed, guys. 